You're listening to the Decidedly Podcast. The following conversation contains explicit language and topics of a mature nature. For more information, find us on Instagram at Decidedly Podcast. All right, so what, what was the time when you were talking with clients that you felt uncomfortable? Oh, that's a great question. Man, there's not that many. I'm fairly comfortable with, because we talk about these issues all the time. It takes a lot. Usually the clients are uncomfortable talking about something, and, and I tell them, hey, that you shouldn't feel uncomfortable about that. It's okay. Um, I talk about this all the time. I think that the most uncomfortable is when there's really the only time that I'm uncomfortable is when there's a disagreement um, between a couple and they're, and I can tell that it's more, it's a deeper problem than what we're talking about. It's not really an argument about money, but it's, it's a deeper relationship problem and we simply happen to be talking about money and there's no way for me to, you know, I, I'm, they kind of thrust me into a therapist role and I'm not, that's not my role. I'm not a marriage counselor. Um, kind of got to balance and say, well, you know, the Jack wants to do this and Jill wants to do this. Okay. Um, y'all got to decide. <laughs> it's up to y'all. I'm not sitting here, you know, uh, I'm not going to help you work through whatever problem is below the surface of this particular issue. It, it happened for me one time I was doing uh, as a certified divorce planner, I was doing some work for some clients who had come in and it became fairly obvious to me that the husband was trying to pull one over on the wife. They came in under, under the pretext that, uh, Hey, this is very, you know, amicable and everything's fine and we're all happy and we just want to get, you know, just second opinion, have you kind of run the numbers real quick and, you know, tell us everything, what we're planning on doing is fine. And I started asking questions and it became obvious to me that she didn't have all the facts and that there were decisions that were trying to be pushed on her that uh, were not ultimately in her best interest. And that got increasingly tense as she became aware of that and he became aware that she was now aware. And, uh, and I had been the one instigating all of that. Oh, uh, that, that became, you know, and there were, yeah. And you have to tiptoe into yeah, that. And there, you know, and she started crying. <clears throat> it was not, you know, and he oh. kind of pulled away from the table and it just, it just was a super uncomfortable discussion. Oh, and, that's uncomfortable. And that was, that was probably the only time in my career where we we're talking about money as a, as a professional had become uncomfortable for me. Um, yeah. And I can see how that would it, be in that scenario. Was. That, that story reminds me of, of, of a time where I, I was actually the most uncomfortable. This is my, my definitive answer. Um, I was working with a client who had inherited a large sum of money. He wanted to make sure that he was making good decisions with that money. He was also planning to get married. And so a few you know, months or maybe even a year into our relationship, he brings in his fiance. They're not married yet. And he had previously talked to me about, Hey, I want to make sure that what I'm doing is smart and that I'm not, obviously I don't plan on getting divorced. We're not even married yet. I don't plan on getting divorced. I don't plan on this being a problem, but I want to make sure that it's all above board. And in the meeting, the wife directly asked me, this is my first time meeting her. And I'd known this client for years and years and years. She directly asked me, so if we get divorced, can I get any of this money? Oh, geez. And I had to sit there and go, uh, well, um, technically, yes. Mm. <laughs> Whoa. And I didn't know how to, uh, it was, whew, Yeah, it was. Uh, not, not uncomfortable because you didn't was know uncomfortable. the answer, but uncomfortable because now that uh, this is clearly something he was getting asked the, for the first time <laughs> it well you know just uh <laughs> i wanted to pull him to the side in that yeah. moment and say hey man what are we doing but oh. um arguments and disagreements and misalignment about money can cause problems in relationships but arguments disagreements and misalignment with respect to sex can cause 
disagreements and problems and relationships. And that's what we talked about with our guest today. Celeste Holbrook, Dr. Celeste Holbrook came on to the podcast today. She's a sexologist, speaker, and author who's dedicated her life to helping women achieve soul-centered sex through perfectly planned mental and behavioral challenges. She inspires women to move through mental blocks surrounding their intimate sexual lives to truly experience the sex that was spiritually designed for them. Uh, We talked about shame with respect to sex and money. We talked about the connections that are ever present with respect to how we view sex and money, both individually and as a collective in our society and how we can change the way we think about both sex and money to improve our lives in both of those areas. And there's so many more similarities than what you might think. So I know I learned a lot from our conversation with Celeste. You will too. I'm Sanger Smith with my dad, Sean Smith, and this is Decidedly. Hey, it's our favorite sexologist. Wow, what a kind thing to say. You're, you're, you're top one of one. Excellent. That I know personally. I'll, t- I'll take those odds in a race <laughs> or in your favorite sexologist list. That's fine with me. And, and, and you, you know, you're up there on the people list too. Perfect. Oh, well, that's so, wow. You're really building me up right before this, uh, this uh, interview. So I love it. <laughs> well, we, how are you we're guys? Fantastic. You know, our, our audio has improved a lot since you were on our uh, episode last time on episode 19 upgrade some mics and things like that i went back and listened to it the other day i was like oh man we've learned a lot celeste (laughs) but but you one of the one of the biggest things i've learned is that the pricing on podcasting equipment makes no consideration for the aesthetic i got these headphones and they're like oh the nicest best headphones ever and they just protrude from my head so much Hmm. look at this oddly shaped that's just an oddly shaped head you can't do anything about that it could be my fault, you know. <laughs> no, it's not the head. It's definitely the headphones. But for what it's worth, it looks like, you know, very professional. Well, when, when we talked last, we had gotten into a discussion. And that's why we, we wanted to invite you back. We started talking about uh, a lot of things and, and just felt like we didn't cover everything we wanted to. But before we jump into those, can you just kind of give us a background of what you do for those people who haven't listened to episode 19? Go back and kind of give us a background of what you do, how you help people, and you know your approach there. Sure. So my name is Celeste. <laughs> I'm a sex educator. I help people find more connection and pleasure in their sex life through behavior change. And my mission in life is to provide safe spaces, just like this one on a podcast for people to think about, talk about, discuss, and learn about sex. We don't talk about it enough. So my goal in life is to help people have better conversations around sex. So we started talking about in our last discussion, how people educate their kids about money and how we learn about sex. And we found that there were deficiencies on both both sides Mm -hmm. is that people growing up in, in their families don't talk about money. And so Sanger and I end up having those conversations and sort of asking people questions that nobody in polite society asks, you know, how much money do you make? What do you owe on that? What'd you pay for this? How much do you have in your account? And these are questions that we just don't ask people and we're taught not to ask people in, in polite society. And you get a lot of those questions on a, on a sexual basis and you, you have to ask those questions. What what questions are you asking people that sort of rattles their cage when you first s- sit down with somebody? Well, first of all, you're right. Like there are just these topics that we don't talk about politics, sex, money. Right. Um, and it's funny that we we all think we're supposed to have it figured out without having conversations about it, I guess. <laughs> and this is especially true with sex, because we kind of assume that we're just kind of going to figure it out on our own. And it's going to be 10 out of 10 great, or else something's wrong with us, right? Um, so one of the questions that I actually ask almost all of my clients when they first come to see me is... Um, I have them actually write this down because it's easier to kind of write it on a paper first before you say it out loud. And I have them write sex is dot, dot, dot. 
And then I give them about a minute and they describe, they use descriptive words to describe how they feel about their sex life currently. Like in this current moment, sex is what? Obligatory, painful, Mm. um, difficult, fun, pleasurable, connective, sometimes a chore, right? So I allow them to kind of describe sex um, for themselves and how it feels in this moment, because I need to know how they feel about sex right now and how they want to feel about sex in the future in order to know what to do. Like that's helps give us our bridge from here to there. Right. And so I think this is a, this is an important question to ask because most of us don't take an inventory of our sex life. (laughs) A lot of us will say, well, sex isn't really very good, but we're not really sure why or like actually why it's not good or doesn't feel right or whatever. Yeah, that's so interesting. It's a, it's very similar with money, right? Mm-hmm. We, Sean and I will often tell people, um, you know, the in order to have a better relationship with money, you've got to understand where you are. Yeah, you've got to understand where you are before you can decide where you're wanting to go or how you're going to get there. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people start with, and this is, I think, across a lot of different categories of life, we start with the how are we going to get there. You know, in, in, in the questions that I guess get asked as an advisor, I normally don't get questions first out of the gate. Hey, where am I? Hey, what's going on? Hey, is this a good place right now? They will say, is this particular strategy worth pursuing? <laughs> you know, should I do this? Uh, how much like a, a friend of mine texted me the other day and he yeah. said, Hey, is it better to, um, is it better to maximize my 401k or just optimize it and redirect that savings other, elsewhere. Well, I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know anything else about you other than that question. That's a how how are we going to get there question. Singer, I had that th- this morning. I had a conversation like this. So somebody asked me a question, which I thought was a good question. He said, "What's the number one thing I ought to be doing?" I, I, sh- I shared the you know what I did, and, and uh, I said, "Well, that's a that's a good question." I, I said, "You need to make sure you establish clear, realistic, motivating goals that move you to action." Because from there, the plan will flow. From there, you must know where you're starting from. From there, the strategies and tactics will, will develop. And he's, and, I, and I said, what did you think I was going to, what did you say? <laughs> <laughs> and he said, oh, I, I thought you were going to say Roth IRA. <laughs> and I, I said, well, that, that's a tactic. That's a, that's a tool you can use, but without knowing any of these other things, you don't know if that's going to even be appropriate or, or implementable. So when, when you deal with that issue and, and ask the, the question, sex is blank, what's, from your standpoint, what's the best thing to hear? What's the best answer? <laughs> uh, I'm not saying what's the right answer, mm-hmm. but, but I'm saying what, what do you like to hear that, that knows you're on a good path versus what do you hear that says, oh, we really have some work to do here? Mm, well, everybody that comes to me has work to do. So um, I don't necessarily think about okay. it in terms of okay. like, well, we're just going to hang up because you're good, <laughs> you know. Um, so everybody is coming for help. Um, so I, I don't know that I necessarily think about it in, in those terms. Um, and everybody is different. And I love your your analogy there about, you know, what is best for me? Like, I don't know. You know, the same thing happens to me. Like, hey, do you think I should get this sex toy? I don't know. <laughs> do you think we should open yeah, our marriage? There's a lot a of third? other questions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe we should ask a whole bunch of other questions like, what do you do now? Or what do you want to feel yeah. in your sex life? Or have you ever had one before? I don't, you know, like, I literally can't tell you that until I know more about your situation. And then only then can I ask you more questions that help you figure it out for yourself, you know? And I'm assuming that's a little bit of what y'all do too, is like ask, helping people ask better questions of themselves. Yeah. What, one question I like a lot is what are you hoping to gain from that? Yes. What would be the, what would be the benefit of doing that? And I, I, when I responded to my friend who asked me that question again, out of nowhere, like he didn't say, Hey, how's it going? And he, <laughs> even yeah. he just texted me this money question. I said, well, there's all these other questions that I would want to know before I could tell you if this even makes sense. And so instead of, he didn't get the point of me saying that 
he st- he just started answering the questions. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, now we're having a meeting. I don't like this. Um, <laughs> but you know, I'm not. I'm working for free over text, over text. message now, and yeah, <laughs> like this is not good. But then finally, I go, okay. I sent him a voice memo. I said, okay, look, dude, I, I got sick of typing all this. The biggest thing that is going to help you is ask yourself this question. What are you seeking to gain? What is the point of you even asking me this question right now? Mm-hmm. And he goes, he sends me a text message back and says, okay, actually that was super helpful because I have no idea. Yeah. yeah I have no idea. All right, cool. Well, come back to me when you do, when you yeah. at least have some semblance of an idea. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Do I want to fully funded college for my kids or do I want my last fucking check to bounce? You know, like what, like what's happening in my, yeah, yeah. that's exactly what I do. And and those are both people come from both of those different perspectives with, with respect to money. What, what are the different perspectives that people come with? You know, what are the different things that people are seeking to achieve, gain, uh, improve upon when it comes to your world? Yeah. So I ask a similar question, like I want, I really want to get to know where you are right now, but I also want to know like in your dream sexual experience, what are you feeling? Because everything we do, we do because we want to feel something, you know, and I, I'm assuming it's fairly similar with money and you can tell me. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Like, what do you want to feel when you retire? What do you want to feel in your day to day, you know, freedom or, you know, I don't know. It's probably similar. Um, but I, yeah, I asked them what they want to feel. Do you want to feel connected, intimate, erotic, wild, loved, calm, safe? What is it that you want to feel in your dream sex life? And then we can work towards that feeling, like in building behaviors behind that. If you want to feel wild and erotic, like let's look at sex swings. Let's look at how to have some like kind of healthy irresponsibility in your sex life. Versus if you want to feel connected and intimate, let's look at yab yum pose. Let's look at how to connect look prior a, to wait, penetration. Just back up, back up a minute. <laughs> <laughs> look at a what? Um, Sean, this is yab yum, yab yum pose. And that's where two individuals face each other with their legs kind of wrapped around each other. And it's a very close kind of like you can breathe together type of pose. It's very connective, right? Okay. And very intimate. Okay. I, it's never heard that <laughs> I can send before. you more information later if you would like. <laughs> I'll text you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I will voice memo you back. <laughs> You nailed it, though, when it comes to the what people are actually seeking is a feeling mm-hmm. with respect to their money, just like they are with sex. Mm-hmm. And Sean and I will talk about this a lot, that people don't want to retire. They, they don't really want to retire. They want to achieve a sense of stability in their life. They want to achieve a sense of freedom in their life. They want to have more they they want to be able to focus more on their family and feel more connected to their loved ones mm-hmm. and f- for those three different people who feel those three different things or are seeking those three different feelings retirement might get them each there yeah. right it it might do that if i retire like okay boom i got stability i no longer have to work for a paycheck boom i have freedom i can go do things with my time you know i don't have to show up at 8 and leave at 5 i can travel i can it can kind of control my own schedule a little bit more or hey i can go spend time with my family and 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 be a more present father grandfather grandmother mother etc and the, should i retire at this time is not a, a not a question that helps us answer what that feeling yeah, you is you know saying that that comes up a lot when i get the question about you know should i pay off the house you know should i pay off this mortgage mm. And I have found over the years that it's less a mathematical question. It's, it's, it's not a math question. Um, it's a feeling question. It's, well, what do you, why are you asking that? I just, I just want the freedom. I just want to, don't have to worry about this anymore. Well, then I'm not even picking up my calculator. Because if that's what you want, I don't need my calculator to answer this question. Yeah, it doesn't matter if it's a 0% interest right. rate on that mortgage, just pay it off. I had, I told the client that a while back, you know, I was like, Hey man, at, we've been, we've been talking math on this. Uh, I'm going to tell you to go ahead and do it. And they go, wait, what? And then all of a sudden they're nervous about it. Well, wouldn't it be better if I, you know, now they want to go the other way. And I said, look, I'm saying it to you because I don't care what the math is anymore because it's obvious to me that you're not going to care what the math is. Right. Cause that's not, that math isn't going to help you not worry about it. And yeah, that, that feeling is so important. One of the things that I, I 
I want to get better at exploring. And I, I know Sean does this well, and I know I've done this with clients before is exploring the, the, the why behind that feeling. Why is that feeling worth chasing? It doesn't mean that I have to justify it in order for it to be a good, a good feeling to, to seek. But I do think it's important to understand because sometimes we can trick ourselves and we can think, oh, I want stability. Well, why do I want stability? Well, my dad worked for 45 years for one company as an engineer. He worked eight to five. He saved his money. He never traveled. He did things this way and lived this life. And so that's the path that I'm going to go. And actually, I didn't want stability. Maybe I didn't really want stability. I wanted something else, but I thought that I was supposed to want it. And I would imagine that's so true with sex. Mm. It might not be because I saw uh, what my dad wanted, <laughs> but right. it might be because of other other experiences from it. You know, <laughs> um, what, what is that? Oh, Bridgerton. oh, that's a TV show. Yeah, you watch porn or Bridgerton or whatever. That's all. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, and you bring up a really good point of how our thoughts create our emotions a lot of the time, and sometimes it goes in the reverse way too. But a lot of times, like I think a certain way, and therefore I feel like they create my emotion. Like I am, like in in money, it might be I think that you know paying off my mortgage will create freedom, um, and that's a, the thought that you know, it brings me this emotion, but maybe when I get there, that thought wasn't maybe accurate. Like what actually brings me freedom is something different, you know? Um, and so that happens in sex too. Like, I think that if I have more sex, I will be, I will feel more connected to my partner, you know? Mm. And maybe that's true, but also maybe the thought, maybe if we change the thought to, I think if I have more pleasurable sex or more connective sex, then I will feel more connected to my partner. Like maybe a whole lot of bad sex doesn't bring you more connection. I don't know, maybe, um, or a whole lot more money might not bring you freedom. Yeah. Maybe it's like the, the, maybe it's a change in the thought process. Oh, that that's, actually yeah. brings perfect. You freedom that's exactly instead. right. Is that, you know, less pleasurable or, or, you know, unsatisfying sex and having more of it is not going to make you any more connected to your partner than having a lot of money yeah. and, and having more dollar signs, you know, in that account is going to make you more, uh, content. If, if, mm -hmm. if the dollar signs aren't, what's going to do it for you. It, it's some other thing that yeah. you're seeking, uh, that sense of security and it may not come from the dollar signs. Right. Yeah. It, it could also be sex that is providing a feeling that, wasn't the right feeling that you were actually seeking or, or maybe, a, yeah. you know, maybe it was a feeling you thought you wanted, but you didn't, you don't actually. Mm -hmm. And, and we can do that with money too. not, I don't just want more money, but I want money to provide this feeling or this value. And right. that was actually not the one that so, I want. So I have a question yeah. for you. Once you've had that discussion, you, you've, you posed that question, you know, the dream sexual experience, what does sex mean to you yeah. or sex is blank. So you've gotten some data there, right? Somebody shares with you, okay, sex is this to me, and this is what I'm wanting. So they've told you sort of where they are. They've sort of told you what their end goal is, what they're wanting to accomplish. What's the next decision somebody has to make? I know what it is in, in our industry, but what, in, as you talk to somebody about their sexual relationships, what would be the next step in that process for you? Yeah. The next step for me, and then I'll talk about the next decision for them, but the next step for me is to help the partnership, to help the couple look at their dream sex lists and find similarities because often we'll, they'll come into the practice and think that they are way like in opposite ends of the field as far as what they want out of sex. And maybe behaviorally they are like this partner wants this wild stuff and this partner wants missionary every, every night. And maybe behaviorally that is true, but emotionally they, they want connection. They want pleasure. And so you help them see that you're actually more on the same page than maybe you thought you were because you were only looking at behaviors, how much sex we're having, how it happens, what we're doing when here now we're looking at what you want to feel. So that's my next thing is to help them see the similarities in what they want. Um, and then we say, okay, here's where you are. Here's where you want to be. 
if this was a set of monkey bars, what's the first rung? You know, what's the first little step we can take towards connection? Is it, you know, finding more intentionality around your sex life? Is it literally starting to work on your thoughts around sex? There's a lot, a lot of thought work around sex, which I'm assuming there's a lot of thought work around money too. Right. Well, um, ex- explain that more. What do you mean there's sex? a lot of thought work around sex? Yeah. So we, so just understanding and then um, possibly changing the way that you think about sex. Like for example, even just defining sex. So sex is defined for us, for a lot of us in a very heteronormative penis and vagina. That's the way that a lot of people define sex. Whereas a lot of people don't have sex that way. And a lot of people don't find pleasure in sex that way. So if we think it like, say if I'm a vulva owner and I go into a sexual experience thinking that sex is defined as a penis going into a vagina, but that doesn't feel the greatest for me, then I feel like something's wrong with me. Right. So maybe it's time for me to change, for me and my partner to change the idea of what actually is sex. Could it be more defined by we're both experiencing pleasure, whether there's penetration or not? Maybe it's more outer course. Maybe it's oral sex. Maybe it's cum shots. Maybe it's all these other things that could be really pleasurable for both of us, but we miss it because our definition of sex is penis and vagina. So that's what I mean when I say thought work. Sometimes we have to re-educate ourselves or re-understand how we think about sex so that behaviorally we can do sex differently. I I hope you don't get put on the explicit list. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I think we're, no, no, we're, on. we're okay. I think we we're passed squarely that. on it. I, I will say that this is okay, the good. this is the first discussion Sanger and I've had where, where cum shots came up. But uh <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> That's why you're here. That's why you do the job you do. Uh. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I love the best part was just watching Sean's face during that. (laughs) But I, I hear what you're saying is you can get, you can achieve these feelings in ways that are different than we, we may have to change the definition of what sex means. And, and, and I, to some extent, maybe not as, as radically, the work that Sean and I do changes um, if we're successful, changes the way that people define money. Yes. A lot of, a lot of people define money as the numbers associated with, with, you know, their bank account. And so we, the way that we communicate what we do is we talk about wealth, Mm -hmm. right? We, we don't say we manage money. We help people, you know, handle their money. We talk about wealth. And for a lot of people, I would say, you know, even most advisors, those two words mean essentially the same thing, thing, right? Um, You know, if I go tell someone that I'm a wealth manager or that I own a wealth management company, et cetera, um, their response, they're thinking money. And I can tell it based on the follow-up questions that they ask me. And if, if we reduce it all the way down to just this one bucket, obviously, if you're wealthy, you have some money. Right. right. You might have some other things. Right. <laughs> you might have, you might have other assets. You might have, you might have right. wealth of, of time. <laughs> yeah. You might have wealth of relationships, yes. which sex would be a component of that. You, you're going to have a lot of other things and, and money is a component of that. And within money, there's, there's, or within wealth, as far as dollar amount that we put on wealth, it's not all money. Mm-hmm. It's not all money. Um, and if I, if we can change the way that people think about that and say your wealth isn't your isn't the dollar sign all that's that's one of the tools that we're using to measure it and that's a component of your wealth but it's not the entirety of your wealth yeah then it starts to open up you know it starts to open up thought patterns where we can think oh well my wealth can can make a difference yeah because I'm not giving away my, my numbers, my precious little numbers that are on the page. (laughs) I'm not just giving away my numbers. No, you donating some of your wealth might involve you donating money, Yeah, but that's not, that's not changing the picture. That's not changing how wealthy you are. Yeah. It's such a, it's so clear how narrow both sex and money get defined. You know, it's like, 
you got to have a lot of it. <laughs> like if yeah. your success, success means a lot. And in reality, success means, could mean a million things from A to Z in both those areas. Yeah. It's, I mean, it, it's certainly not, it, it's certainly not true. The more you learn about both sex and money, that more is better. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that meaningful is better. Mm-hmm. Significant is better, right? If I'm having, uh, if I have a lot of money and no significance, it doesn't matter. Right. Um, if I have a lot of sex and and no, no meaningful sex, no significant sex, what does it matter? In fact, that's probably harmful, mm-hmm. right? If I have a lot of money and it's not significant at all, that's probably I should I'd be better off without it. Mm-hmm. If I can't figure out how it's significant, if I can't figure out how it's meaningful then I've just got a bunch of problems. You know, those yeah. problems probably look a lot like somebody who has a lot of sex that has, that lacks meaning. You know, that, mm-hmm. that, that probably feels good at first. Just like having a lot of money feels good at first until you recognize you come to that realization that there's not a level of significance to that wealth, that it's not uh, outward focused, that it's not transferring your values as gifts to others, that it's not creating long lasting uh, importance. Uh, and, and I would suspect that, that you probably see a lot of that in meaningless sex, that it feels good at first until you come to that realization. And, and I've talked to people who've come to that realization uh, and, and they reflected upon their previous behaviors and they said, you know, I just didn't, I realized I didn't care about my body. I realized that I wasn't doing right by these other people. I, they, they come to that realization. So I, I think when we have those conversations about money, and it's it, it very, very similar to the conversations you're having, Celeste, about uh, we have a values discussion. And so if I'm if I'm talking to, mm-hmm. you know, two people, and we'll go through what are their values that, they're, that they've sort of filtered down, the most important things, and look for those overlaps between the two. Mm-hmm. And then look for ways that those commonalities, those common values are being manifest through their wealth, through their financial plan. And my guess is that you're having a similar sort of process as you uncover what are the similarities that somebody wants out of their sexual relationship, whether it's intimacy or excitement or or what have you. The next step then would be to say, okay, how are we manifesting this relationship or these values? How are we getting Mm -hmm. excitement or connectivity or uh, belongingness through through these actions? And then if those are absent, then prescribing some things that you would that you would do. Is that is that a fair sort of process outline? Yeah, I think so. And I think one of the key terms you used was a sense of belonging. So like when you're talking about sex that's meaningless or money that has no purpose to it or or meaning for that individual, probably they don't feel like it has, like they're not belonging in that scenario. Like for sex, you have to feel like you belong in that scenario in order to actually experience pleasure. It is like sex actually does have an order of things. And so you kind of have to feel like you belong there before you can experience pleasure with that sexual experience. Um, And so, um, you know, you can have casual sex, right? Um, And it can be meaningful as long as you feel like you belong there. Like if you feel like you're doing it for pleasure's sake or for a wild, you know, night or whatever, and it's safe and consensual and all that stuff. Um, But you could be in a relationship for years and feel like you don't belong there. And then the pleasure is not there. So it's not even necessarily like what it looks like, but rather are you, um, are you connecting to the purpose? You're not aligned. You're aligned with what you're Mm -hmm. imagining yourself to be with what your real actions are. Mm -hmm. And so I I think when there's that misalignment, you're going to have that negative feeling. So there's a lot of things that wouldn't follow prescribed advice. My guess is that you see couples that have come in in your line of work that are also not following prescribed advice. They're trying to solve something. They're, they think they're doing something good. Yeah. But w- what what decision-making mistakes have you seen uh, couples <laughs> experience? What's the, <laughs> what are the worst decisions you've seen people implement? Oh, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> um, well... <laughs> I think in general, because we're not modeled good 
or normative sexual experiences, just like we're really not modeled money experiences. Like uh, our parents aren't telling us how they're investing or telling us how they're, you know, yeah. you know, use it, utilizing their money. Um, we're also not seeing our parents or our caregivers or any trusted people in our life have sex, probably for good reason, but <laughs> what ends up happening, <laughs> yeah, probably a good idea. <laughs> However, what happens is we, then we look to other sources for, to make our decisions around sex. And so other sources in sex looks like media, looks like, um, erotic novels, porn, you know, your cousin telling you what their sexual exploits were. Right. Um, and so a lot of people just only have those, those kinds of, um, performative influences to make their sexual decisions on versus having like a solid understanding of your sexual ethic and what you do and don't want to do and what feels good to you and what doesn't. Um, and so, judging our own sex lives by like explicit material or media always leaves us feeling like, huh, I'm coming, I'm coming up short a little bit. And so a lot of clients come into the practice feeling like they're not good enough or, or, or like they're not living up to some expectation or their sex isn't good enough simply because their expectation is flawed and is only performative. And so I want to say, I want to see if we can pull some, comparison between this and money because what kills a lot of people's sex life is that they're trying to perform sex instead of experience sex. And so when we're trying to perform sex, it's like very outward focused. And when we're experiencing sex, it's very like, oh, I'm in my body and I'm experiencing this and I'm connected. I'm in this present moment. When we're performing sex, we're kind of like up here looking down at like, do I look okay? Am I doing the right moves? You know, do, how do I sound versus when I'm experiencing sex, I'm like, this feels the way I want it to, to feel. And I wonder if that happens with money some, like um, we think we're supposed to perform with our money in a certain way, when in reality, um, money serves us best when we understand how to use it as an experience, maybe. I don't know. What do you no, think? You're, no, you're absolutely right. I just saw some clip of uh, 50 Cent and he was talking about <laughs> 50 how he bought Mike Fitty. Tyson's 50 cent, uh, how he bought Mike Tyson's mansion. It was 5,500 square feet or 55,000 square feet, excuse me, massive place. And he was talking about his ultimate dissatisfaction with that, that, that he realized that. And, and that, that although he didn't say that, my guess is that there was some pressure for him to, to do that once he had a lot of success financially to spend a lot of money on a big, a big fancy house. Uh, but then came to that realization that that wasn't what he should be doing. And so I, I think you're exactly right is that a lot of people, once they get wealth or get to a point where they can start investing, feel like they ought to be uh, buying the hot stock. They ought to be, you know, performing as you, as you said. So I think you're exactly right. Yeah. We, you know, we'll talk with our clients about the difference between success and significance. Mm. And the way that, the way that we define it is success. This is the the language I have always used is that success is inwardly focused and significance is outwardly focused. And until you said that experiencing sex is inwardly focused and performing sex is outwardly focused, I didn't know that there could be a bad way to interpret the idea that we're trying to share. And and what I mean when, when I say that to transform your wealth is to, to transform your wealth to significance is to begin to have an outward focus on your wealth does not mean what can I show other people mm. about my wealth? What it, it's not about how other people will look at me or perceive me. Yeah. It's about what can I give, yeah, right? Like impact. What, what can I give? Yeah, what impact can I have? And we were talking with a woman who survived Chernobyl and she she's had an incredible life really overcoming that um, trauma of, of growing up there and being kind of rushed out. And she she shared with us an idea that was so unique. She said, your your core values are not for you. They're, they're gifts that you can give to other people. 
Right? Yeah. They're gifts that you can give to the world. So if if creativity is really important to you, you're you're able to give that gift of creativity to others. And I think when it comes to money, that that's what we mean when we say an outward focus is how can we give the gift of what's special about Celeste, what's special about Sanger, what's special about Sean, how can we give that gift to others? Then we'll achieve significance because if I'm only focused on what can I get out of my money, what can I get out of it? It it's it's better than not focusing on anything at all. <laughs> right. But it's not it's not long lasting and it's usually unfulfilling. Yeah. It's probably better than focusing on what other people will think of me about my wealth and that manifests itself in buying cars you can't afford or buying maybe it's buying cars you can't afford but just didn't really want well i think there's a lot of correlation to that in in uh, sexual satisfaction as well if you're looking at sex as how do how do i get my own satisfaction that's not going to be as fulfilling as how do i provide satisfaction to somebody else in that in that relationship yeah, there is a word we, that we use in sex education called compersion. And it is this idea that I find psychological pleasure when I am giving physical pleasure. So blowjobs are a very good example of this. Most people don't love the feeling of a penis in their mouth, right? It's not super pleasurable. But psychologically, it feels good to know that I'm providing physical pleasure for my partner. So this idea of compersion is that we are both experiencing pleasure. Your pleasure is more physically oriented and my pleasure is more psychologically oriented, but we are both experiencing pleasure. And sometimes we don't talk about this enough when it comes to sex because the narrative is that we should all be feeling physical pleasure all of the time. And in reality, sex is very turn takey. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I, I, I don't mean to... <laughs> Uh, so when you were, I held a joke in, okay, and now I'm going to tell you the joke because I didn't want to ruin the, the very important connection point. I was making. Sanger? The beautiful connection that you were making. You said that nobody, you know, most people don't love a, a, the feeling of a penis in their mouth. And I asked Sean in the chat, I said, is that true? <laughs> <laughs> and he didn't respond. He did not. He didn't even tell me. Not. So jerk sometimes I'll, we, I'll we can't help but pick there. on each other we can't help but pick on should each we other. talk about shame is this a good time to talk about shame <laughs> you talk about this shame yeah actually i do want to i do want because, to because, because there's, there's so much right there's so much shame with money and with sex right there is and and, and hey you know it's not a nice joke but that's uh, that's that's the ri- that's there, the ribbing I signed up for in, that's, in doing this. Yeah, that's that's yeah, what that's we what, get. Uh, it goes it goes both there, ways. There is a lot of shame, and it's 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 sad that that a lot of that shame stems from like I mean like even the joke that I made stems from um, I didn't mean it in a bigoted way or anything like that. Obviously, I'm just right. poking fun at my dad. The reality is some that has some small amount of of negative connotation towards certain people. Right. And that that's never how I would intend to make it. I wouldn't, you know, wouldn't say that to anyone else. But the the point is, it's 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 really sad and depressing that a lot of that shame comes from the way that we as society look negatively at other people or at certain behaviors. And we put a lot of judgment and negative feelings on things that people either can or cannot control. Hmm. Um, but there's a lot of shame. Is there other, are there other sources of that shame beyond, um, are there other sources of shame? I guess that's my question. Around sex, around sex, like sources from. Yeah. 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 Well, we think that sexual shame is like the original, um, the first type of shame that, a that a child would experience because at 12 to 18 months, that's typically when a child is going to be like reaching for their genitals or exploring their genitals. And that's the first time a parent will be like, don't touch yourself. Right. There's no other, mm. you know, there's no other thing that a child would do that young where a parent would admonish them out of shame versus like, Oh, don't touch the, you know, don't cross the street. Don't touch the outlet. Those are all danger. Right. But don't touch yourself is just shame. That's dirty. Mm. Right. Um, when re- in reality, they're just exploring the world and they should be able to, 
touch themselves. They're just exploring their body. And it's not even sexual. It's just an exploration of understanding, you know, understanding my elbow. I'm understanding my head. I'm under also understanding my genitals. So um, we think that sexual shame is like one of the original times that we feel shame in our childhood and it just continues. And so why do you you think there is that shame that we would put on people like that? Why do you think that exists? I think just years and years of it, we grew up in a puritanical culture. We, you know, other cultures may not, you know, don't have as much of that, but I think it's just, you know, historically so many years of, of, um, demonizing sex probably yeah Um, but we're changing it right we're changing it with every generation is a little bit better about undoing the shame of the previous previous generation and this is a very normal thing for sex and money and you know all kinds of things we progress forward how do we so i i like to believe that the things that we do as a society as a collective group of humans that they have some sliver of good reason for existing. Not everything, but I try to find it and say, hey, if we're all doing this thing as a collective, maybe there's something, there there might be one good reason for it. doesn't mean it's an objectively good thing that we're doing, but there might be some good reason. And and if I try to explore that thought with respect to, to sex, I would say, okay, if I have to justify why this shame exists and what could be a positive reason why it exists, is that, well, we wouldn't want to encourage the polar opposite either, right? We wouldn't want to encourage a society where people are just, you know, gallivanting in the street naked, having sex on sidewalks. So there's some sort of, hey, you know, keep this private. This is an intimate thing for behind closed doors. And that probably spirals into, hey, maybe we don't even, we certainly don't do it publicly. Well, now we, we, we shouldn't talk about it publicly either. Okay, so now we don't talk about it publicly. Well, maybe we shouldn't feel about it publicly either. So we're going to feel about it publicly or privately exclusively. And then it becomes this isolated thing that that we don't get to talk about openly. Now, it stems from a good place, maybe, but it ends up in a place that has negative consequences. So when we try to like tear down, um, and I'm exploring this thought with with both money and sex live while we're talking, right? It, when we try to tear down the the behavior patterns of of broader society and the way that we think about things collectively, how do we do that in a responsible way that doesn't also have a, uh, unintended harmful consequence? Like, are there any negative, is there any possible negative ramifications of saying, hey, remove all shame entirely, don't worry about it, it's all good? Yeah, that's a big question. Um well, I think it it's helpful to kind of define the difference between establishing boundaries, which are a very helpful thing in our society, versus shame for those boundaries. Like, um, let's put it in a context of like teaching our yeah. Because I'm not I'm not necessarily there. saying I'm not saying that how do we I'm not saying justify shame right now for me and tell me why it shame is good. I'm saying I feel like there's a way that we could differentiate between some things that are worth preserving and some things that aren't. And that, I think that answers it, but I want to hear more about what you have to say on it. Um, yeah. Uh, like, like take teaching a kid, for example, since we started with this example of touching your genitals, a kid who wants to explore their genitals. Um, and instead of saying, don't touch that, that's dirty or you're dirty or your genitals are dirty we can put yeah. boundary, right? There's a difference. Like you're, you, I mean, not to an 18 month old, but to like a three-year-old who wants to rub on a pillow to go to sleep at night, you know, or to a six-year-old who, you know, is touching themselves for, to self-soothe or to a 13-year-old, right? You can put boundary around it and say, this is, you know, this is a perfectly acceptable thing for you to do. It's called masturbation. It helps you feel better. Um, I want you to, you know, do it in your room or in the bathroom. I come up against this a lot with parents who want to do better, but are scared to bring up the subject of masturbation or self-exploration because, because we haven't been given or allowed the opportunity to think of sex as more than just 
it's either this way or this way. We either talk about everything and I'm just going to allow my kid to have sex on the sidewalk, as you say, or I'm going to tell them not to do anything at all. Right. And in reality, most of us are somewhere in the middle and need to have established boundaries modeled for us so that we can make healthy decisions for ourselves. When you get to the point where you're beginning to look at prescriptive remedies for uh, the differences people have in in their outlook and and trying to bring couples together, what are the the main difficulties you're seeing? Um, So typically what I see are things like low libido, low arousal, um, frustrations with sex frequency, which is always like a more like an indicator light of lack of communication or understanding about sex. It's more like a, more like something that happens because of something else, Uh, a feeling like sex isn't good enough or that it's not pleasurable enough or not connective or it feels like an obligation for a lot, a lot of people, sex feels like an obligation because arousal is hard to get into or they feel shame around sex for a multitude of different reasons. Is that, is that answering that yeah, question? Yeah, it, it is. And, and, and so the, the reason I was asking that is, is we look at how people resolve these difficult issues and there are decisions that have to be made around both money and sex. And a lot of times these decisions come from differing values, differing expectations, uh, differing wants and goals. If, if they weren't, they wouldn't be a hard decision. We would just both agree we're doing this and we wouldn't be talking about it because we both agreed that this is what we're doing. And so my, my question comes from, from how are people deciding to resolve these, these differences that are resulting from their discussions around sexual relationships? You look at what you both want. You both want connection, pleasure. And then you look at how can we create that together instead of saying like, this is you and your libido and this is me and my libido and never the two shall meet. We start looking at like, okay, most two people on this earth don't want to have sex at the same time in the same way with the exact same amount of arousal, right? Sex is always going to be a negotiation. And so then we can say, once we understand between the two of us, me and my partner, that sex is going to be a negotiation, then we can just start negotiating it. Um, if we both want to feel pleasure, well, what helps you feel pleasure? Well, this is what helps me feel pleasure. You need some time in the bath before we have sex. You want, you, you would like to have, you know, um, sex before we eat a big meal, you know, like some very practical things that help us both negotiate sex that feels good for both of us. Um, and so I think the first coming to the agreement or the understanding that sex is always going to be a negotiation. There's two individual whole people who are negotiating sex in the middle. It's not two people becoming one or usurping each other. Um, It is really negotiating a behavior in the middle. Is when you, when you say negotiating, um, is there a way that that manifests itself other than having a, you know, because I'm imagining sitting across from a big wooden desk from, you know, two partners going, okay, and this is what I would like in a very formal conversation. Obviously, talking openly about it is part of that negotiation you're referring to. Mm-hmm. But are there other ways that, or does negotiation in this context mean anything other than discussing it in that way? Yes. So negotiation a lot of times just means being willing to have a conversation about sex prior to sex, you know, like, okay, maybe me and my partner have a opening, you know, in our schedule where kids are out of the house on Saturday afternoon. So on Thursday, I might be saying like, Hey, listen, we've got this time on Saturday. What do you think about connecting centrally? And they go, yeah, that sounds really good. You know, what would feel great for you or what can I do to help you get in the mood? Right. So that is that like intentional sexuality, the continual negotiation that helps us make decisions about sex prior to a sexual experience, helps us uh, feel less anxious and feel more like we're looking forward to it, more like anticipation. Um, and so negotiation is not just, you know, this is how I would like to be touched and this is how you would like to be touched, you know, 
It is a let's build this together, just like money. Like what what would bring you purpose and, and freedom and joy? And what would bring me purpose and freedom and joy? And how do we blend those for the sake of our family? Yeah. Okay. Do you see people have such different um, opinions on that, that it's hard to reconcile? You know, that negotiation just doesn't come to resolution? I mean, sometimes, typically, if it's that, if, if there's no negotiation possible, I'm referring out to a marriage and family therapist because the, the issues are, are more than just like, we don't agree on sex, you know? Um, I typically see couples who are fairly healthy in a healthy relationship where sex is rough and sex is hard and difficult for whatever reason. Um, so I'm not necessarily, I'm not a therapist, right? I'm not seeing couples who are on the brink of a breakup or, or whatever. I'm seeing fairly healthy couples who want to negotiate sex better, but yeah. don't know how. I've, I've had that in my experience over the, over the years where a couple will come in for building a financial plan and it becomes obvious to me that there's bigger issues uh, <laughs> that, that I can't solve, you know, it, and uh, coming from really different places and meanings of, of money and what they want it to do for them. Uh, yeah, those are those are tough. Those are tough decisions. <laughs> yeah, tough and it's decisions. where you get really skilled at referring out, like, "Hey, <laughs> this isn't um issue I feel comfortable solving." Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there's a, a kind of a fine line where it's like if you have problems in this area, it doesn't mean that you have problems in your relationship. But also, there's a point where if you can't solve the problems in this area, you do have problems in your relationship. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then then you know it becomes less about the sex and less about the money that's correct there's a lot of you know tactics that don't work for other people i'm not sure that you would say that any sort of tactics or advice is out there that is objectively bad or would you say that there is something that is objectively bad that's commonly recommended yeah like like summer's eve like feminine that? feminine products that make your vagina smell like flowers. Um, <laughs> objectively terrible. Um, okay. All right. So, yeah, so you're coming that, down on the side that that's a bad thing, right? Okay. Yes. Vaginas and penises can just smell like vaginas and penises and that's okay. So the question is, is there objectively bad advice in sex? Yeah. Okay. Well, let, let me let me modify the question a little bit. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there are the way on the far ends of, you know, there, there's there's a small number of a small amount of advice that is objectively bad, right? Mm-hmm. And and that I know that is true with money. Like there are certain things that are just straight up bad. Stay away from. Don't do it. Yeah. The reality is, most of the time, I, I might have a client who th- who thinks this particular strategy investment. They don't know it's bad advice. Um, well, they might, it might not be that it's objectively bad. It's just not good for them. And so I'm going to communicate that to them and say, Hey, I, I don't think you should do it. It doesn't mean that it's bad. And it doesn't mean that your brother-in-law is an idiot for doing it. It just means that you shouldn't do it. Right. I'm not going to recommend it to you. Um, having said that, I'm, I'm interested to know what, how do bad decisions manifest themselves when it comes to sex? Hmm. So <laughs> something that comes up a bit in in the work that I do is the idea that bringing in a third person to your sex life would fix anything. <laughs> um and so you're right, seems bad. Well, listen, I'm I'm all for whatever types of partnerships people or 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 thruples or whatever swinging I'm all for whatever people want to do. However, I've only seen those situations work well when the primary couple is already super solid, right? So the idea that a third or like an experience with another person would fix anything is problematic, usually. (laughs) Um, So another another idea, maybe a softer idea about this would be um, that you know, if we just had more sex, then, then our sex would be better. Like, mm, 
you could try like there used to be a like 30 day sex challenge that people would do yeah. sometimes like well, if we just have sex every day for 30 days then then we're gonna be so connected and they end up at the end of 30 days and they're like do not touch me <laughs> like please for the love i am tired of this you know um and again it, it might work for some people but they were probably pretty healthy to begin with and they just wanted a sex challenge you know but the idea that having yeah. sex for 30 days is going to fix something could be problematic you know that that seems that seems like a really really solid take on that because it, it, as i was listening to you talk i could draw an immediate analogy to money again and that i think that that seems like a scenario where someone is looking to the tactic first again yeah. right it because if yeah. If I have a if I have a relationship that's not as connected as I want it to be, I don't understand how bringing in a third party is going to make me feel more connected, right? <laughs> that, right. That's probably not the right solution. Right. Um, and and same thing with with um, with money. I'll see it with people who will come up with with really radical ideas that are different from their previous behavior. Okay, hey, you know, maybe my my issue is that I, I don't feel like I have enough money. Mm -hmm. And so maybe I should actually take a mortgage out of my house that's already paid off and invest that money. Well, geez, let's look first at why you feel like you don't have enough money. Yeah. Is that from a, is that because you, is that because you didn't, you know, leverage your, your house money to invest? I, I don't think so. I think there's probably some other reasons that you feel like you don't have enough money. You either feel that way and it's not true which this issue is not going to solve for you feel that way. And it is true at which point it, it, it this isn't likely going to help. Yeah. Yeah. That idea of like scarcity, like that mindset of like, it's not enough is true with sex and money. I think like you can have, you know, three times as much money as your parents ever had and still feel like it's not enough. If you're worried, it's going to go away all the time. Yeah. yeah I just, it's so fascinating talking to you. It's, I would not have thought before we met <laughs> that there is such a strong correlation to what Sean and I spend all day doing to what you spend all day doing, but man, there really is. And uh, I think there's a big benefit in talking about, talking about what we are not supposed to talk about publicly. Yeah. Um, and so I thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I learned a lot this time, just like I did last time. <laughs> I'm so glad. I'm. I feel really honored to to be invited and invited back is even a special honor, um, because I wish more people who look like you um, would have these conversations openly and honestly and with like um, with humility. You know, you're you're being willing to have these conversations as uh, cisgendered white men, um, which I really appreciate because not very many people will, will like you are asking people like me to come and talk about these things. So I really hope you feel my appreciation for that. I feel very supported. <laughs> we, we owe you a thank you for, for sharing it openly with us. Mm -hmm. Where can people find you, Celeste? Oh, sure. Um, so you can find me on Instagram at Dr. Celeste Holbrook or at the same uh, drcelesteholbrook.com is my website. So you can sign up for like a discovery call if you think that maybe you'd like to start exploring um, sex education for you or you and your partner. Um, and I also teach for the Velvet Box. So you can find me over there teaching some online webinars and in-person houses uh, in Fort Worth. You know, my takeaway from our discussion with uh, Dr. Celeste Holbrook was really around the, the just the fascinating similarities between how we talk about and relate with money and how we talk about and relate with sex. And, and that looking at that you have to start by aligning your values between couples, uh, both with money and sex, and how the that alignment really needs to be based on values and figuring out what is it that everybody wants. And so that, that was the big takeaway it was just starting with values is, is super important. And then having that authenticity that if you're not getting what you're wanting, you're going to feel misaligned and you're not going to feel like you can take uh, wealth to a point of significance or 
sexual relationships to a point of meaningfulness unless there is that alignment between what you're really wanting and what's happening in reality. Yeah, I I agree with that 100%. I love that part of our conversation. My biggest takeaway was that collaboration is required to make either sex or money significant. And that collaboration can be with um, a trusted advisor, with a therapist, uh, but it also needs to happen with your partner. It, there, there should not be any expectation to achieve meaningful relationship with sex or money if, if we're not openly and honestly communicating with one another. Thanks for listening to this episode of Decidedly. I hope you learned something. I know I did. If you thought our show was five-star worthy, please check us out on iTunes and give us a five-star review. It really helps out a lot, helps people find our community and defeat bad decision-making in their own lives. Check us out at decidedlypodcast.com and on Facebook and Instagram at Decidedly Podcast. Until next time, I'm Sanger Smith with Sean Smith. This is Decidedly. Insights, advice, and comments provided by Sean Smith, Sanger Smith, and speakers identified as part of the Decidedly Podcast should not be considered recommendations. Speakers who are not identified as members of Decidedly are expressing their own opinion and their statements should not be construed as reflecting the views of the Decidedly team. This podcast is produced solely for informational purposes, not personalized advice.